ate a lot of food, watched a little football, basketball, whatever, went to parades, went to Black Friday shopping. Anybody do that? Anybody admit to doing that? Okay. Okay. Bless you. Uh, I am not a shopper, so guess what? I didn't go. So it's, uh, I did go Saturday, but uh, only because I had to have something that was hugely important. And uh, not really. Um, <clears throat> probably could have done without what I went Saturday for as well. But you know, sometimes uh, it's interesting that uh, at this time of year, as exciting as the holidays are, as, uh, as we get all fired up, we have all this stuff going on. Did you know that the holidays, uh, uh, this, this, this season of year between Thanksgiving and Christmas is the highest uh, incidence of depression of any time during the year? And following the holidays as well, this, this, this season is about six weeks se- season. It's one of the highest instances of, of depression. Um, I was looking at some, uh, some, some medical uh, reports, uh, one from, uh, from a Dr. Kenneth Johnson, who's a psychiatrist at St. Mary's. And he says that uh, it shows that uh, depression is, is one of the highest causes of disability year-round. Uh, in workers, and it cost the American economy between 45 and 50 billion dollars a year in lost productivity. 45 to 50 billion dollars a year in lost productivity uh, through this the whole thing of depression. Uh, it's one of the most common illnesses of working of of adults working age, and the biggest factor in suicide for college students. Um, but in the sense, though, you don't have to have full-blown depression to experience some of the effects of, of depression itself. Um, one of the things that uh, the Mayo Clinic and another article shared was the, that stress and depression and holidays, uh, there's some triggers that, that, that cause it. This is why there's so much uh, stress and depression during holidays. One is because of relationships are heightened. Uh, for the for, for for one time during the year, because you're with family and friend, because Thanksgiving, Christmas is two of the prime times you visit family and friends, and you're with them a lot. Uh, the stress factor in relationships just zips up and goes up higher. It's heightened during the holiday seasons. Secondly, another trigger that causes it to happen is finances. People spend more money during this time of year than at any other time of year, and because of that, uh, with money being spent, guess what happens? Stress goes through the roof sometimes because many people uh, in America do not spend money that they have. They spend money that they don't have during this time of year, which causes all kinds of stress. Uh, Another is the physical demands, the physical demands of the holiday. I'm not talking about eating, okay? Uh, I'm talking about the physical demands of travel. Uh, How many of you traveled this week anywhere? You you went, you know, across town, up the the road, visit grandma, somebody. I mean, the huge number of people travel. If you didn't travel now, you'll travel. For us, uh, uh, in a few weeks, we didn't travel anywhere this this weekend. But uh, in a few weeks, when Christmas comes along, between Christmas and New Year's, we'll get in our car and we'll travel uh, 780 miles to Roanoke, Virginia, to visit our family, and then while we're there, we'll travel across the state of Virginia to visit other family members and travel back to Roanoke and then back to here. We'll travel over 2,000 miles uh, in a week's period of time in a car. Now, uh, as wonderful as uh, my family is, my wife is, you know, traveling a car and uh, with that long is stressful, right? It's just stressful. It's physically exhausting. It usually takes me a couple days when I get back from that trip just to kind of like get my feet on the, on the ground again. And to get focused on, on life itself. So we have all these issues that happen in life uh, during this time of year. This whole thing of stress. This whole thing of, of um, 
this whole thing of depression is something that's huge for us this time of year. And the reason I share that is because as we come to the end of this series on Elijah, the prophet who was in the Old Testament who speaks too much, so much to us today, we see a guy who goes through uh, depression. We see a guy who is, uh, you know, of all the people in Scripture or maybe at least one of the top people in Scripture, we wouldn't think would go through depression. We see Elijah uh, going through depression. If you have your Bibles today, uh, take them and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to look at uh, several verses in there today. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, there's some at the back. And also the Scripture is going to be in your, most of the Scripture is in your outline. And it's going to be, or well, not in your outline. It's going to be on the screen. And some of the other things are on the outline as well. So you can, uh, can follow along with those this morning. 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, Remember, <laughs> let's, let's read First Kings, the first couple of verses first, and we'll go back, okay? It says this, First Kings 19, verses 1 through 3. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel. Who was Ahab? Nasty king. Okay, worst king and 19 kings in a row in, in Israel. Worst of 19 kings in a row. Worst of 19 bad kings in a row. And it says, and Jezebel. Jezebel was his lovely assistant who was evil. You know, uh, evil assistant wife. Uh, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Remember back when we started this whole saga, uh, back in First Kings 17, if you were here, if you weren't here, just a real quick, quick update. First uh, Kings 17, we, incur, we encounter Elijah for the first time. He is called by God to be a prophet. He goes to the king Ahab. Ahab's done all these evil things. He's ta- turned the people away from God toward worshiping Baal, which is a false god. And in the process, he tells, uh, God tells Elijah to go and tell Ahab that there's going to be a drought a long-term drought for several years. And the reason for the drought is because Ahab has turned the people away from God. And this is the process of doing that. So Ahab, you begin, you think that Ahab is going to go and have the showdown with, uh, with, uh, with uh, Elijah. And Ahab will have a showdown. But God takes uh, Elijah out to a place called the Kareth Ravine. Remember that? It's in chapter 17. The Kareth Ravine is a place where God shapes and molds uh, Elijah to become the person that God wants him to be. Kareth means cutting or cutting down. It's a place where God uh, trimmed down, in a sense, Elijah's ego and helped him to get to the place he needed to be to be useful by God. He's there for a period of months, and then God sends him to another place. And this place is in a uh, town called Zarephath, and he goes there and he encounters a lady, a a, a mom whose uh, husband uh, either is dead or gone, or something we don't know but the issue is is that um she has a son. It's during this time of drought. They have, have no resources whatsoever. But God sends Elijah to this lady. And as he encounters the lady there over a couple of years period, some amazing things happen. God miraculously through the process keeps her jar of oil and her, and her jar of flour uh, filled up. Even though she doesn't put anything in it, it keeps being filled up over and over again. So there's always just enough for each day to eat. And uh, he goes through that. At the end of that, that, that time there, uh, something happens. The son dies. Elijah goes up uh, for the first time in history, in, in history in, in recorded history in the Scripture. Uh, Elijah goes up, prays over the son who has died. He comes back to life. All these things happen. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, the, the big throwdown at uh, Mount Carmel where uh, God sends Elijah. Finally, he takes him and has the final that 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 time where he's uh, confronting uh, Ahab. 
And he says, Ahab, what I want you to do is I want you to send your uh, prophets of Baal up on the mountain, Mount Carmel. And what I want you to do there is we want to have this to prove who really is the real God. And so we read Scripture, and Scripture tells us clearly that what happened there was, uh, if you've read the Scripture, they have four, over 400 prophets of Baal uh, try, they, they try to, you know, get the, the, their God to put down fire and burn up the altar. Nothing happens. Elijah makes fun of them, uh, so forth and so on. God proves himself to be God by sitting fire down. And then he goes through all those things. God proves himself over and over and over again, not over just a few months, but over a year's period, okay, over years. And then we come to chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword because after, after the, the, the thing on the mountain at Mount Carmel, not only did, did the, the prophets of Baal lose, they got killed. And, it was, and, and so what happens is, in Ahab, I don't know what the problem with Ahab is. Why did he go home and tell his wife? He, was he not man enough to deal with it? Or was he, you know, he's, he's, he's got a problem here. And so he tells Jezebel. And then so Jezebel says this. So she sent a messenger, messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with, you, with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Talking about the prophets of Baal. Meaning that I am going to ha- make sure that you're dead by tomorrow. And so it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now, I don't get it. You know, in a real sense, should Elijah have been afraid of this one woman? I mean, God had just proven himself to Elijah that he was more powerful than 400 prophets of Baal. He was more powerful than, than, than nature. He had proven it over periods of years. But Elijah comes to the place after this great victory. He comes to this place and he's afraid for his life. The reason he is is because he is not simply, he's not a superhero. You know what it says in James, James 5, 17 about Elijah? It says that Elijah was a man just like us. Look it up. James 5, 17. Elijah was a man just like us. He wasn't a superhero. He did not, he did not have any superpowers. God had done all the things through Elijah and through Elijah's ministry, but Elijah himself was a man just like us. He was up and he was down. And he was up and he was down. And after this great victory, after this great victory, he, uh, he became fearful. And fearful led him toward depression. Let me ask you a question this morning. What kind of fears grip your life? What are you afraid of? I'm not afraid of anything. Wrong. You're afraid of something. I'm afraid of stuff. There's things in life that I'm afraid of. I shouldn't be afraid of those things because if I know that God is really who he says he is and God has ultimately a plan for my life and a purpose for my life and, and God's going to be there no matter what happens. God says that he, will, he has a plan and a purpose. He'll carry me through. But in spite of that, the fact that in spite of that, I still have fears and you still have fears. Why? Because we're frail. Immediately following a great victory, Elijah became depressed. I've heard, I'm not a rock climber, but I've heard from people who are rock climbers, who are serious rock climbers, who climb large mountains, 
that one of the things that's interesting about rock climbing is this, is that when you go up on a mountain, as, as severe as it is, as you go up, you have all this adrenaline pumping, and you're climbing the mountain, and you're doing all this. And once you get to the top, man, it's like, it's like exhilaration. It's like, you know, really you've reached the, the peak. It's exhilaration. But the most dangerous time of the climb is not going up, it's coming down. Because after you've expended all this energy going up, after you've gotten to the mountaintop and you've had all this adrenaline pumping and all these things happening, then you've got to still come back down. And guess what? You've got to come back down just as carefully as you went up. And most people make mistakes in rock climbing on the way down, not on the way up. See, sometimes what happens is, is when we reach a mountaintop, a peak, what happens is it's, it's, an, it's, it's a very, it's a time when something, sometimes we, because of our uh, expectations, because of, 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 of just the amount of energy we've expended in going to that mountaintop, whatever it may be, sometimes we have depression. So those of you who are Metamore fans, get ready for depression. God, <laughs> But seriously, folks, let me, you know, you get over something exciting, something exciting happens to your life, and you're, after it's all over, you're going, is that all? It's easy to get depressed. It says this a little bit further in 1 Kings verses 3 through 5. It says, after he got, was afraid and ran for his life, it says this in verse three, uh, 3b. It says, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left, Elijah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert... He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Now, this, this gives us four quick things, four quick steps to how to get depressed quickly, okay? Uh, this is kind of the, this is the bad part of the message. The good part, I'm going to hold on for a minute here. We'll tell you how to, how, what God says to work through your depression. But... First of all, it shows four quick things about the, that's, that's sure things that will help you to at least, be, at least be blue, but probably depressed. First of all, uh, it says this, the passage, the first contributor to depression is you, you need to wear yourself out. Wear yourself out. Just, just wear yourself plumb out. Just, just, just do everything. Let me tell you, if I live some of your lifestyles, I would be worn out. I mean, if I had some of your calendar events, your calendars, your day timers, your PDAs, your, 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 the stuff you do all the time, I would be worn out. I'm worn out enough with mine, but if I added yours on top of mine or just substituted, some of you know that you live insane lifestyles, right? You're saying it all the time. I have people come to me all the time and say, oh, I'm just so tired. I don't know. One of the key factors in depression it's when you wear yourself out. Remember what had happened to Elijah? He had just come through this great victory, but he had been, you know, he had been through this whole thing for this, this process with the prophets of Baal. He had gone through this, this just emotional roller coaster, this physical roller coaster of doing all this stuff. And then he comes to the thing and he's just worn out. And so the first thing we see here, the first step toward depression, if you want to be depressed in your life, just wear yourself out. Wear yourself out. I'm not going to talk a lot about that because I'll come back and the uh, talk about some of the steps t- toward coming out of depression uh, is more important than talking about how to get in. 
because I think we all know how to get in there. Number two, number one, wear yourself out. Number two, shut people out. It says he, it says in, in the verse here, it says that he, uh, he left his servant there. He had a servant with him. He had people with him. He had people around him. One of the things that I find in people that are depressed, that one of the things they do, people naturally do this for some bizarre reason, is when you go through, when you're going through depression, you push yourself away from people. People do it all the time. They crawl into a hole. They go into their room. They do not come out. They kind of stay alone. They become loners in a real sense. Elijah decided, he said, he, instead of hanging, having his servant with him, he says, you stay here. I'm going on a journey into the desert by myself. If you want to, you know, if you want to be depressed, wear yourself out and become a loner. Okay? Step number three. Focus on the negative. You know what he says here? He says this. He said, now, this is, all of us can step back, read chapter 17, 18 of 1 Kings, and see that God had worked mightily in Elijah's life. Right? Right? Thank you. Okay. I know it's been Thanksgiving. You've eaten a lot of food and you're tired. But, uh, you know, this is important. Okay? It's important. Stay focused. Okay. Okay, that's what I tell my children all the time. Stay focused. Okay. Uh, and so he, 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 uh, he, he, he focuses on a negative. He says this to him. It says here, he said, I've had enough. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Who were his ancestors over the last couple of hundred years prior to this? We, we don't know specifically, but we know the country he lived in. Remember? What about the kings that were pri- pri- uh, previous to Ahab? 19 previous? Good, bad. Evil. And not only were they evil, but they led the country in an evil way. So all of his ancestors for 200 years basically had followed Baals, had followed false gods. They had been turned away from God. And so he compares himself, he begins to compare himself negatively to the ancestors who had followed false gods. Had had Elijah done that? No. But sometimes when you're tired, sometimes when you're alone, you have a self-talk going on in your mind, Right? None of you do that. You have a self-talk going on. And as you talk and you talk and you talk, little things become bigger things and bigger things and bigger things. And you start everything that's even small. I loved, I went a couple of weeks ago. My wife and I, along with several folks from the church here, went to a conference called Love and Respect. Uh, uh, Emerson Egrich, uh, pa- uh, pastor, former pastors, a great book. Uh, I encourage you, if you want a great book on marriage, uh, Love and Respect is a great conference. He was talking there, though, in one of the conference things. I still remember this. He was talking about the difference between men and women and how we focus our attention. And one of the things, women, I just don't understand this, but this is something you do. Uh, a beautiful woman can get in front of a mirror. And you know what a woman will always see? Always. Her flaws. I mean, she could be like perfect from the world standpoint, and she will see her flaws. I mean, you've heard about models who are just gorgeous, who, are, who do all this stuff, and, and, and all they ever do is focus upon their flaws over and over and over again. You know, they just, you focus on the negative. Now, guys, I loved it because this is so true. I thought it was one of the truest statements he made. He says, in the meantime, guys, <laughs> we can get in front of a mirror. We have like 30 extra pounds here. You know, whatever. And we'll stand in front of the mirror, you know, flex. and We'll focus on whatever good thing we can find. 
It's a difference. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Just the way it is. We know it's true. I found it to be true over the years. You know, I don't care what I say to my wife and I, honey, you look gorgeous in that. And she'll go, does it make me look fat? You know, how do you answer that question? Um, you can't win. But the issue is you can focus on the negative. One of the things is when you get tired and you're alone, you begin to focus on the negative. And Elijah here, what he does in this, in this spiral down toward depression, he begins to focus on things that just aren't true. He was not like his, like his ancestors at all. He was the person who had followed God imperfectly, but he had followed God for these years prior to this. But he focuses on the negative. And finally... Finally, what he does, he just basically, if you want to get depressed, just forget God. Just forget God. Because in the end here, remember every time that uh, during this, these, these years, these three years previous when Elijah was having an issue, where did he always turn? To God. He turned to God. And here he becomes so disfocused, unfocused, disfocused, I don't think it's a word, but unfocused that what he does is he forgets about God. Last week, uh, Chris talked about prayer and about the importance of prayer and how Elijah, through his prayers, how God worked in those prayers. But the issue was here, he just kind of forgot God. One of the things that I found in my own life, sometimes I go through periods of times in my life where I'm prayerless. Ever gone through those? Where you just don't even pray. You say, you know you need to pray. You know, you pull out books to read them about prayer. But you just are prayerless. You forget God. And that was a spiral that uh, Elijah went through in, in his life here. That's four easy steps to being depressed. Wear yourself out, shut people out, focus on the negative, and forget God. Of these four, which is the most common challenge that you have in your life? Don't answer out loud. But just think about it. What is the most common challenge? Do you, know, do you constantly find yourself worn out physically, emotionally, mentally? Do you tend to shut people out a lot in your life? I do this sometimes. You know, when I get really tired, you know, what I, first thing I want to do, I shared this a few weeks ago. I said, I don't want anything to do with you guys. You know, it's really pastoral, you know. But when I'm worn out, I just want to gotta get, get, get by myself. Uh, do you focus on the negative? Does little things become big things? Things that, you know, is, you know they're not true, but you just begin to focus on those things. Or do you become prayerless and, and God's word is not part of your life for a period of time in your life? Do you do these things? Do you find these issues in your life? If you, if you are, uh, find those to be true, guess what? You're like most people. Now, the issue is to recognize those things and to understand what God says we need to do to turn that around. There's an old saying that says this, you will break the bow if you keep it always bent. You will break the bow if you keep it always bent. If it's always stress in your life, if you never find periods of time where you pull away and do some things you need to do, uh, then you will break. I found it interesting. You know, uh, I'll share this about a year or so ago that after the process of Great Oaks and we went through, through this process of growth and we got into our building three years ago and we went through the first two years of a lot of growth and a lot, you know, we went from three, little 300, uh, 300, 350 people to around 550, 600 people in attendance, you know, in about two years period of time. We got to that place. You know, it should have been a, like, wow. I found myself depressed. I found myself having no energy, no, no desire to, uh, to do anything. And I'm going, there's something wrong with me. But I found great uh, encouragement that finding out that other pastors, pastors of humongous churches like Bill Hybels at Willow Creek, Rick Warren at Saddleback, Craig Rochelle at Life Church have all been through depression after Great growth in the life of their church. 
And I'm going like, you know, that happens. We have to guard against it, though. And they all follow biblical principles to get out of that as well. So let me share with you some cures, some cures for our depression this morning. Number one, if you're depressed, God says to eat and rest. <laughs> Isn't that great? Eat and rest. After, after uh, this, all this stuff happens here with, uh, uh, with Elijah, he says, you know, I want to die. I want to lay He lay, lay down under a tree and fell asleep. It says this in verse 5b and through 8. It says, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Then he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and he strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. The first thing that God did for him after to help him to get out of his funk, out of his depression, out of his blues he said to him sleep and eat sometimes the most spiritual thing that some of us need to do in regard to getting it through this is when we're worn out you need to sleep and eat you're going like but you don't understand my schedule if if i don't do you want to keep depressed you need to get your rest let me tell you, I think the number one commandment is broken more than any other commandment in all, in all the Ten Commandments. It's the commandment that says to honor the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath and make it holy. I really believe we break that all the time. God gave us the Sabbath for us, not for him. Jesus said that. It's, it's for man. Because God knows that we need rest in our lives. If we don't have regular periods of rest and focus our attention Away from all the busyness of life. What it is, we'll burn out. Eat and rest. What are some things you can do to have more rest in your life? <laughs> Probably simplify. You know, take away some things from your schedule. Make sure rest is, and sleep is a potential. Let me tell you, teenagers are... Uh, I, I, there's an epidemic in our world today with teenagers not getting enough sleep. Children and teenagers not getting enough sleep. Busy, 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 busy. You know, it just drives me crazy because the thing is, it's been proven that teenagers particularly need eight, eight to nine hours a day of sleep. I wonder how many teenagers get that much sleep. Uh, those of you who are teachers in school can probably tell you, so I know there's some studies, that, that there's a huge number of kids that come to school and get, do terrible in school because they're so tired. They're worn out all the time. They sleep through classes. And it's not because you're just a boring teacher. It's because they're so worn out, they don't get the rest they need because they're trying to do too many things in their life and they think they can do it all. God says the first, uh, first step toward curing depression is to eat and to rest. Number two, God says, he, uh, the second thing that God does in here with Elijah as well uh, is, is God says replace, he replaces our lies with his truth. It says this in 1 Kings 19, 9 and 10. There he went into a cave after he went to the mountain of God. There he went into a cave. He spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him. And then God said this to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Do you think that God knew what he was doing there? Uh, my God knows everything all the time. That's the God of Scripture. So why did he ask that question of Elijah? Because he was trying to help him focus upon what are you doing here? What is the truth about what you're doing here? How did you get here, Elijah? And Elijah replies, I have been very zealous for the Lord. First of all, he goes back. Remember just a while ago, he said, what did he say a while ago? He said, I'm just like my ancestors, a bunch of losers. 
who were following Baals and following false gods. And then he turns around and, and he, God says, what are you doing here? He said this. He says, first thing, Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord, God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. <sighs> he takes a breath. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Is that true? Is he the only one left that's following God? You ever felt in life like you're the only one? I mean, you get to the place where you're going like, nobody understands me. Nobody's been through something like I've been through. We do that all the time. Come on. And this is exactly what happens when we allow ourselves to become tired and lose focus and, and turn ourselves away from God and, and focus on the negative and shut people out. This is what happens in our life. We replace the truth with lies, and God wants to replace the lies with his truth. And as God, this process here, we learn, as you read the whole chapter and the, and the rest of the story, we learn that God says, hey, Elijah, the truth is there's still 7,000 other people who still bend their knee to God in the nation of Israel. They're not a lot. But you are not alone. You are not alone. And besides that, you know, God says, I'm still with you too, by the way. That's no small thing. God replaces our lives with his truth. That's the second thing he does when he begins to cure us of our depression. Thirdly, God speaks in a still small voice. It says in uh, verses 11 and 12, that the Lord said, go out. And stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, if I, if I was Elijah, I'd be all excited about that because here he's going to hear him speak again. He's already heard God speak before. And he says he's going to hear it come by. And then it says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And it says that the Lord was... Elijah heard God in a still, small voice in a gentle whisper. I believe God, in a real sense, what he was trying to do was get Elijah's attention. You see, when we, we become depressed, when we become far away from God, we forget about God. God needs to get our attention once again in some way. And all the other the stuff was prelude for God getting into the attention so that, that when he came and spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice, in a quiet voice, in a quiet place, that he would have Elijah's attention. See, if we're going to be persons who do not live our life in the, you know, in, in being blue and being depressed and, and constantly worn out and all these different things, being a loner, if we're going to do that, we need to hear God speak. And God speaks to us through his word. Let me tell you something, folks. I've shared with you before this, but when God, sometimes when I've gone through these periods of time, times where I've been prayerless, and when I really have struggled and get into God's word, I have to pull away for a period of time. Maybe it's the first few times, maybe it's for an hour or two. Pull away and just, just sit and be quiet. Read God's word and sit and be quiet. I mean, I had to go through extended times where I went and spent extended times in fasting and praying for long periods of time um, for the purpose of, of going through the process of, of beginning to hear God's voice again. I, the problem was not God. The problem was me. I was so wound up with me and I had all this negative thoughts in my head and everything was going on there. And I was so physically tired and emotionally wiped out. that sometimes what happens, I just don't hear God. And God wants, you, wants to speak to us, but he doesn't scream at us. 
He speaks to us quietly once he gets our attention. And finally, after all this process, after God says to eat and rest and he replaces his lies with the truth and he speaks in a still small voice, he's got our attention. Then he gives him some final orders. He says this in 1 Kings 19. He says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nishi, king of, over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphath of from Abel, Mahola, it doesn't matter if you remember these names, by the way, okay, uh, to succeed you as a prophet. God gave Elisha something to do. See, the only way that God wants us, to, he, doesn't, he wants us to rest, but then he wants us to get up and get back on our feet and do something. That's what he gives him something to do. Guess, guess what he gave Elijah, what his task was? He said, Elijah, I want you to do what a prophet does. A prophet is one who goes... And he, and he anoints uh, kings. He, he anoints his uh, followers. He goes through this process. Do what a prophet does. Now, you're not a prophet, right? I'm not a prophet. What are you? You a housewife? Are you a husband, a mother? What are you? What are you? See, when God gets you through this, he wants you to get back to doing what you need to do, doing what you, you're created to do. Just don't get into this funk where you sit around and do nothing because that is, that'll just lead you into deeper depression. Go back and do what you need to do. See, God encouraged Elijah to eat and rest, to believe truth instead of lies, to listen to his voice and get back to doing what prophets do. But at the end of this, of, of this whole time, he says, finally, he says, okay, I've got you out of this. this, this is, you've worked through this. I've reminded you who's, who you're with. You're not alone. Now I want you to get back to doing what you're doing. And so Elijah followed the plan. And guess what? Elijah became a prophet once again. What he was created to do. That means he wasn't depressed anymore. Or he wasn't allowing depression to lead his life. A final note before we close. In the last couple of verses, two or three verses of chapter 19, he also gives us something that's important as well. God doesn't want us to go through this alone. It says in the last part, verses 19 through 21, uh, he gave Elijah a personal friend, a personal assistant, somebody who was going to be there with him. Remember before, one of the problems is he pushed his, his servant aside. He said, I want to be a loner. So he gives him this guy named Elisha who's going to be his number one friend, his number one, he's going to become the successor. Folks, if you're going to work through this process, you need people in your life who will encourage you and who will be there for you. It says, in some translation, it says, Elisha ministered to Elijah. He cared for him. He helped him through this. Let me tell you something from personal experience. You cannot go through depression alone. Now, you, you'll want to go there, but you can't go there because you need people in your life who will encourage you and build you up. God places people in our life. Sometimes we push them away, but he places people there who, need, who we need during um, this time of depression. Let me share this, this final thought. Even if your greatest fears or your what-ifs occurs in your life, even if they occur... God will be there for you to help you rise above it. 
The story of Elijah is that God will always be enough for you. I ask you this morning, you know, if you're going through some of these things, you see yourself in the midst of depression, maybe just going through this holiday blues, uh, maybe you're coming out the other side, wherever you happen to be with this. Thank goodness maybe there's people here, a lot of people here who aren't going through this at all right now. But in our world, there's a huge amount of depression, a huge amount of people who are going through these downtimes. And if you're doing that, I challenge you to look at God's Word once again and, and follow the steps. Allow God to, first of all, say to you, hey, you know, let me tell you something. If you don't eat and rest on your own, God will, you'll, you'll be on your, flat on your back before too long. You know that. You can't go, keep going at the pace you're going if you have an insane pace in your life. You can't do it. And God will, get your vo- will speak to you, and he will begin to speak to you, and he'll replace, as he speaks to you, he'll replace, if you'll allow him to, replace the lies that you he- keep hearing and keep repeating in your head with his truth. And finally, God will tell you, hey, now go and do what I've called you to do, what I've called you to be. Get back to being the person that I've called you to be. And if you allow God to work through that process and remove those feelings from our life, just as he did with Elijah, he will help you back to where you need to be. He's done that for me more than once in my life. I'm not ashamed to say I've been through depression in my life as well. Some of you maybe get to the place where it's deep and you need help. You need more than just, uh, just reading Scripture. Scriptures, I mean, for most of you, you can, you can just follow the plan here and it'll, it'll work. Some of you have allowed yourself to be in depression for too long, need to get some help some, somewhere else. There's lots of good Christian counselors around. Lots of people that uh, myself and others can guide you toward if you've gone through these times. But you need to take the steps because God doesn't want you to live there as he didn't want Elijah to live there. I pray that God will just help you during this holiday season. I mean, we're just in the beginning of it. <laughs> that he'll help you to take the steps in your life to make sure that you enjoy the holidays in a way that he wants you to, a time that's holy, a time that'll be encouraging, not a time that'll depress you. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.